Welcome to The Sword and the Trial, the podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I am Jared Longshore. And I'm Tom Askell. Thanks for listening to The Sword and Trial today, everyone. Tom, it's good to see you this morning. It's good to be seen by you this morning. We um, are very excited about an upcoming film that we have called By What Standard. The subtitle is God's World. God's Rules. We have a trailer available at founders.org. We encourage you all to go watch that. There's an opportunity to support that. Yeah. We'd love for you to support it. I think um, we're about up to one third of what we anticipate needing in order to distribute this as widely as we hope to distribute it. So yes. there are good Christian brothers and sisters all throughout the Southern Baptist Convention, and we want to encourage them to look to God's word diligently to consider what we would do in these troubling days. All kinds of worldly ideologies out there. We want to remember this is God's world, and His rules are the ones that we are to obey. Yeah, I think sometimes we assume that. It's one of the dangers, or dangerous assumptions, that if we continue with, then we are going to wind up in bad places, Mm -hmm. thinking, oh, of course we believe the Bible. We are all inerrantists here. Uh, We fought a a big war to stand on the inerrancy of Scripture. So why in the world are you trying to press this issue, and yet we cannot afford to let it go unaddressed? Absolutely. One one area we saw this, uh, you and I both went to the Southern Baptist Convention recently. Right. And walking into one of the sessions, they were handing out a book. Uh, I think the handbook's called Becoming a Church That Cares Well. And yeah. it was about sexual abuse. And the Houston Chronicle released the challenges about the sexual abuse. And so here the Southern Baptists are going to address it. And I worked through some of the book and, you know, found lots of good stuff in there. I mean, we were at the convention holding up this book, praying for this book. It was a big emphasis, given out free to a whole bunch of pastors and church Mm -hmm. leaders there and being now advanced and spread throughout Southern Baptist world. There's a whole initiative on this, Jared, that uh, you can go to caringwell.com and you'll see there's like eight steps that they're encouraging every Southern Baptist church to take. Uh, including getting training from the ERLC and uh, bringing teams together to having a special launch Sunday and all this. And and the issue is important. And praise God. Praise God for an effort to rectify some things. Yeah, because there's no doubt that uh, many situations have been highlighted where uh, people were not cared for very well. And, And churches have an obligation to do that, not just with sex abuse victims, but with other people, all of us. I mean, pastors are called to shepherd God's flock. I mean, shepherds lay down their lives for their sheep. And if we have people in our congregations that are being abused or have been abused, and we've set up systems that allow that without any consequence or any provisions and protections, then those need to be identified, they need to be renounced, and we need to put better systems in place. So all of the initiative, all of the motivation, praise God that we're trying to address it. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't examine the ways that we are being encouraged to address it. Absolutely. And the standards upon which we are operating. I'm concerned that there is a there's a tendency to operate upon a standard that's higher or somehow different than scripture. And we see that happening on page eighty seven of Caring Well. I was I was shocked to see this, and I believe that what's being advocated here, while in the midst of a number of good things in the book, what's being advocated here is actually going to harm victims. Mm -hmm. There are people that are going to be victimized uh, because of what's said here. Let me read you a quote from the book. Quote, regardless of whether the victim wants to take steps to pursue safety, there are two powerful things you can do as a ministry leader. First, you can believe the victim. Innocence until proven guilty is the appropriate legal standard, but you are a ministry leader, 
not a judge or investigator. Mm, that's disastrous. <laughs> it's sad. So we've, we've dealt with sexual abuse um, right. in our own church, in our own ministry. I've dealt with it multiple times. And um, there, are, there are things that we need to know in those cases because, yes, abuse people, they don't uh, normally come forward. And when they come forward, they're very often um, you know, looked at sideways. As, and they're hesitant. And, yeah, yeah. All of those things. So if someone comes, uh, this should be report. If there is a crime, if someone's confessing a crime to me, yeah. well, then this needs to be reported to the civil authorities. Right. There's a difference between sins and crimes, all of that. Um, sympathizing with one who is coming forward with, with such a charge, such a, such a case that has come about investigating it and saying, we're going to get to the bottom of this. We're going to protect you immediate protection. Yeah. So remove from the situation, remove from the situation. And we've done that. We've told ladies, look, uh, we will provide places for you to, to be protected and cared for where you're no longer in a situation that you're saying has been abusive to you. I mean, all of that's right Mm -hmm. and good, but, but, but that is not, automatically assuming that, okay, what we're hearing here is the truth. And we, if should, you, we should listen carefully, but not automatically make a judgment. So innocence until proven guilty is not the standard. It's a legal standard. It's not the standard that you should operate on as a ministry leader. So my concern is we just spread out to who knows how many Southern Baptist pastors um, a principle that says this person, if somebody walks into your office, no matter who it is, it could be a man, to be a woman um, comes in and says another person uh, abused me mm-hmm. uh, sexually, physically, whatever it might be. I am to believe that person and say that the other person is guilty. I'm not to say that that person's innocent until proven guilty. Right. And so um, think of the implications if I really operate upon that principle. <laughs> if church member one walks in, say Jill walks in and says uh, Jack has sexually abused me. Well, if I say I, I believe her, there's been no secondary confirmation of this. You believe her. I'm not just protecting her. I'm saying, no, I believe that Jack abused you. That means I'm looking at church member Jack and I'm telling Jack, I believe you abused Jill. Yeah. When the civil authorities come in, they say, what do you, what do you think, think Pastor? I think Jack abused Jill. Um, when the church comes before us and says, what should we do as far as dealing with this congregationally? This, I believe Jack abused Jill. According to this standard, yeah. that's the case. And here's the trouble. that All of that is still true if Jack comes in and says Jill's the one who abused him. Exactly. Although I have my reasons to doubt that the folks behind this emphasis who have written this language would say, oh, no, 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 that's not what we mean. That's not what we mean. Right. And again, the reason is, it appears we're operating on a standard other than the Word of God. We, we warn against rush to judgment. The Scripture warns against this. But what we have created here, if we follow this counsel, is a, a rush to be the first one to make an accusation because the first one to present his case then gets believed, which I think Proverbs 18 says that, uh, yeah, he who presents his case right first seems right until another comes forward and questions him. And a few verses before, it says that it's folly to give an answer to a situation before you fully hear it. And so this, this well-intended principle is based upon something other than God's Word, which is the whole premise of this documentary that we are producing. By what standard? This is not by the standard of God's Word. And, and, it's, so, and it's not a helpful one, but I do think it is a challenging situation, and I can understand people making the mistake that they made by putting sure. this in here. And there's a better standard here, because some people would ask, okay, well, if I'm not, if I'm to suspend judgment in such a case, 
and do what you said. Show sympathy, um, investigate, call the authorities, and then make sure that this person is safe. Right. Away from the home in which it occurred. Um, Someone would say, well, by what standard do you take that action? If you're suspending judgment, isn't that an indictment against, say it's a woman that comes and says her husband has done something to her or something like that. And, is an indictment against the man to have her flee the home and get to safety. And I would say, no, it's not because I I think this is very helpful. There's a principle in the old Testament. There's a text that says you are not to return a runaway slave to his master. And so that you can envision a slave runs away from his master, comes to your home, knocks on your door and says, the master's been abusing me. And this person that receives the slave could say, well, there's not two witnesses to this, mm-hmm. so I can't take you in. You need to go back to your master. There's actually a principle that we can stand on and say, no, you're not indicting the master by protecting the slave. You're not indicting right. the master by saying, yes, uh, you stay here, and we're going to get the civil authorities involved and figure out what happened, but you're going to be safe first and foremost right. now that this has come forward. It's a it's a very helpful principle. You can suspend judgment. You say, I'm so sorry this happened to you. We're going to get to the bottom of this. You're going to be protected right now from this crime that happened to you. And you take all of those measures. You call the civil authorities. You investigate, and then you do your own investigation as, as a church. That's going to protect victims, and that is going to operate on a principle that I do think um, – I think that very contrary to what's listed here, that you're innocent until proven guilty. You're supposed to do that. That's not just for uh, judges or investigators. That's true. It's in God's word. Yeah, the reason that is a part of our civil laws because it was a recognition that this has grown out of what God has actually revealed. And yeah, we provide safety, provide safety for those who say, man, I am in a dangerous situation. Absolutely. We do that. And then we begin to say, okay, how can we sort this out? Because if you think about it, there have been examples of this. I mean, we've seen so many cases where um, those who are vulnerable have been taken advantage of, have been abused, that I think the temptation that seems like this book has fallen into with this principle is, okay, well, then in order to make up for it, we've got to always believe the one who comes and presents as most vulnerable and uh, uh, most um, abused. And you, you think about the Bible, okay. Potiphar's wife? I mean, who is the victim there? Mm. Yeah, it's not Potiphar's wife, though she claimed to be the victim. And that's not dismissing or diminishing the fact that there are horrible realities in many cases where women have been abused by men. That has happened. And there's all where kinds of cover ups about that. Yeah. Guys and, that are unwilling to. And take we the abominate that. To. And that needs to be dealt with. But it needs to be dealt with on the basis of God's law because the scenario you described, secondly, does put the most vulnerable uh, in, in the most tenuous position. Because what happens when you've got uh, a fellow who has no access to power, no access to resources, no access to believability that has somebody come and charge him or her with a horrible crime? If we follow this, you believe the victim, and this poor guy, this poor lady is left because she doesn't have the normal opportunities to try to defend yourself. And if you don't, you don't have to think very long or very deeply to recognize that has happened in our history and that in the history of this nation. And it was horrible then, and it will be horrible today if we continue to operate on that principle. Yeah. May God give us wisdom as uh, we move forward seeking to care well for um, sexually abused people and victims of various kinds. When we come back, uh, we're going to be considering a book called Life in the Body of Christ, Privileges and Responsibilities in the Local Church by Curtis C. Thomas. 
Founders Ministries held its first conference in 1983. Since that time, we've expanded the ministry to produce books and journals and have regional conferences and fraternals to have a study center. Uh, we've done multiple things here in the United States and around the world to seek the recovery of the gospel of God's grace and the reformation of local churches. Our desire has always been to facilitate healthy church living. We want to resource pastors and church leaders. We couldn't have done that without financial supporters through the years. We've never made a big deal about financial support. We've never made great appeals for financial support, but we do need financial resources to do the things that we are doing. We are grateful for those who stood with us, and we would be delighted to have you come and join us in this ongoing fight to see the gospel of Jesus Christ maintain its pride of place in Christian thinking and in our Christian churches. Uh, we've established this new way of giving called the Founders Alliance Membership. And I invite you to become a part of the FAM with us. There are different levels at which you can give to become a monthly supporter, or if you just like to make a one-time gift. We would welcome that as well. Uh, there's a big fight in front of us. We have a great concern that is arising among our churches and within the Southern Baptist Convention and beyond. And we would be delighted to have you stand with us, to unite with us, to join arms with us in this fight. Uh, thanks for your support. Pray for us. If the Lord enables you to invest financially in this ministry, we would welcome that. Welcome back to this segment of The Sword and the Trowel, where we're going to talk about a book that we want to commend to you. It's called Life in the Body of Christ, Privileges and Responsibilities in the Local Church. It's by Curtis C. Thomas. And I wonder if you recognize that name, Jared. Do you, does that mean anything to you, that author's name? Sadly, no. I, put I, me on the I'm, spot. No, I know that, but I did it on purpose because I'm about to make a generational point here. Right. Uh, in my generation, Steele and Thomas was a very significant set of names because you didn't even have to name the title of the book. If you said Steele and Thomas, uh, people knew you were talking about the book, The Five Points of Calvinism, which Curtis Thomas and his friend, uh, I forget the first name, Steele, uh, wrote in, in order to just define and defend these doctrines from Scripture. Hmm. And back in my younger days, man, we were looking for anything that could be helpful to explain to people what we were saying, what we were understanding, and try to help us drive back into the Scriptures. And so Steele and Thomas was just standard among uh what is now the old reformed mm. and becoming restless again crowd. <laughs> uh, but anyway, Curtis Thomas was pastor in, in Arkansas, and this is a book that he wrote as a mature pastor who had spent decades in the ministry going over just key issues, practical things. It's so practical. Mm -hmm. Man, this book's been commended by people like Jay Adams and uh, James Packer, Jerry Bridges, Joe Beakey, Tom Nettles, Wayne Mack, Nancy Lee DeMoss, I mean, a lot of folks have commended it. So I, I recommend this. It was published in 2013 by Founders Press. It's an excellent book, not just for young pastors, but for elders and, and experienced pastors as well. Yeah. You know, this book is helpful because it drives down to the very practical matters. We kind of, we many people understand principally the kind of nature purpose of the church. But when you say, what does it really look like when we're dealing with financial realities? Or uh, what should be the nature of my home with the personal responsibilities, yeah. family responsibilities? Um, how you know, He's got a section in here, ways to discourage your pastor, uh, which is things you <laughs> Don't read that avoid. if you're a church member, all right? That's Just skip right. over that one. Uh, even how to listen to a sermon, right? Yeah. Um, that sermon was weak. How should I react? Uh, these... These are issues that 
indeed come up in church life, and we really need wisdom to say, okay, or the biblical principles we see, how do they play themselves out on the ground? Yeah. If, if a pastor would take this book, he could go through this with elders, he'd go through this with church leaders, he'd go through it with church members, and just give a, a broad overview of, okay, here's what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, this local body. What kind of church do we want to be? Uh, I think Again, it comes from decades of pastoral wisdom and practice. So I recommend it highly. You can get this on the founders.org website and our bookstore, our new and improved bookstore, by the way. If you haven't Mm -hmm. seen it, you ought to go check it out. It's easier now to navigate and get a copy of this for your elders, get it for your deacons, get it for your Sunday school teachers. You will be well rewarded by working through this. Hey, when we come back, we're going to be considering... God's word and the commands that we find therein, we're going to consider what it means to stand. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. Let me give a little illustration. <laughs> That's it. You've done it. It's not even new to Southern Baptist because Satan does this. He is constantly telling you you should be guilty when you're forgiven. He is constantly asking you to live with regrets when the Father has taken all the sins of the world. Welcome back to this segment of The Sword and Trial, where we take up a command of God's Word. The reason we do this is because uh, indicatives are primary and important. We must understand what God has done. That's what the gospel is. It's uh, indicative. It tells us, that okay, God has accomplished this. We believe it. But the indicatives do not cancel out the imperatives. And in our day, we want to emphasize what we see kind of slipping in some sectors of the evangelical world that God calls us to live in accordance with his revealed will. So today we're going to look at Ephesians 6:14 and there's one little word there that just comes across stand, but that word doesn't exist by itself. Paul says in Ephesians 6:14, "Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness." And then he goes on to talk about the gospel uh, shoes that that you're shod with, the gospel of peace. Uh, he's and the rest of the armor. The the concern that Paul has, however, in introducing this is that we are equipped by God's spirit with spiritual armor so that we might stand in the evil day, because the evil day is coming. So if you look at that verse, it says, stand therefore having done all this, having done all this. Sometimes people think about standing in the scripture or being resolved, and it's just like hunker down. You know, man, just hunker down and endure. And there are some days in the Christian life where if you hunker down and endure, you've done well. But the overall posture of the Christian life ought to be one, yeah, we've got the armor, we've got the sword of the Spirit, we've got the shield of faith, we've got the helmet of salvation, we've got our feet planted in the gospel, we've got the belt of truth, and we are prepared for whatever's going to come. And we're not going to budge one inch with all of the assault of the devil. And that's where this admonition is found. It's in the context of Paul teaching about spiritual warfare, which I don't know about other folks, but I know with myself that very often whenever you see people opposing you and coming after you, if you're not careful, all you see is flesh and blood. And yet Mm. Paul says in verse 10, we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And to remember that, okay, people can be instruments of these principalities and powers, even good and godly people like Peter, whom the Lord said to get behind me, Satan that even unintentionally any of us is capable of being that. And then some people are very intentionally 
operating on godless principles, well, they are like the frontline soldiers of these principalities and powers. They're not our real enemies. We have to stand against them, and we have to deal with them, but we must do so always with the awareness that what's going on here is battles in heavenly places coming from uh, demonic impulses and principalities. Mm. You know, uh, <laughs> the the context of this uh, command is so important because it is one thing to, you know, stand on the beach and watch <laughs> yeah. a sunset. We live here in Southwest Florida. You can do that. Um, it's another thing to stand uh, on Normandy. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a beach too. Yes, but right. It, it was a little different context. And that's what's going on in these verses. He says, yeah. you're waging war. We're wrestling against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. And I do wonder if our, our American um, Christianity is, doesn't really understand what it was like to be in the Reformation. Oh, man, yeah. You know, I mean. Um, we have romanticized ideas about that. We really do. And Martin Luther. There he is, yeah. right? All these wow. guys. That, He's so not, his face is so nice and not scarred. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we look back at men who didn't flinch when they were being burned at the stake. Yeah. And yet we're not like in danger of being burned at the stake. We're just in danger of having our reputation a little bit smeared. And, and that, you know, creates these challenges of like, right. oh my goodness, what's going to happen? What, what's all happening here? So I, I think of the um, you know the the early church with the Lapsy controversy. Mm-hmm. So every everyone was standing until the trouble came, until the heat came, the persecution came, and they started saying, "Well, look, we're we're at least going to take away your books. Some of you are going to throw in jail. Others of you are going to execute. And you need to renounce Christ." Well, that's when people uh, yeah. stopped standing. That's when the, the, it was when the conflict came, when the trouble came, that we need to be remember we are to stand and just to. Hold up. So yeah. here it comes, and whatever comes, um, we're going to keep standing here upon the word, having fastened on the belt of truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, uh, having our feet made ready with the gospel of peace, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit, and come what may, yes, we're going to endure this uh, challenge, this Amen. battle that is and, in front of us. You know, Jared, it's, it's important for us today in the, the battles that we are facing with these godless ideologies we've talked about over the last couple of years that are coming into our churches and the evangelical entities. And oftentimes they're coming in unaware, um, and yet it seems like they're unabated. We cannot back up one inch. If we see what we claim to see, and if we're standing on God's word, come what may, we must not budge one inch inch. God help us. And that is our resolve at Founders to continue to stand firm on the truth of God's word and proclaim that word loudly and clearly. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for listening to The Sword and the Trial today. Let me encourage you once again, go to founders.org, check out the Founders film, By What Standard. You can watch the trailer there, share it around. We're thankful for you.